You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Giants Splash. I'm Henry Schulman, the Giants beat reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Today I'll be chatting with news center fielder Kevin Pillar, who makes his return to Toronto this week. He talks about growing up in L.A., not figuring on a baseball career, playing at a small college few people heard of, a record hit streak that he had, and how his parents allowed him to have a normal childhood, at least for an athlete. There's much, much more in there as well, and we'll get to it right after this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Henry Schulman of the San Francisco Chronicle back with Giants outfielder Kevin Pillar. Uh, And Kevin, uh, kind of a weird twist of fate that, uh, I mean, the Giants are going back to Toronto for the first time in in six years and that's you know your first road trip is going to take you there uh did you did you kind of look at that when you did get traded and and uh kind of know this was coming yeah i mean i knew the schedule um pretty well in toronto i knew that they were coming there um at some point in the year i knew we had the national league west obviously growing up in la i was definitely looking forward to getting back to dodger stadium um but yeah once i got traded and i got settled in and i was able to kind of catch up and Look at our schedule, look who we're playing. Um, Obviously, I saw Toronto on the schedule, and it's something that, um, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to. Okay, so it's a good thing and not necessarily a bad thing that you're going back there right away? Yeah, I think think kind of getting it out of the way um, is is good. You know, I think there's part of me through social media and being able to thank a lot of people that helped me get to where I was at, um, helped me with some of the closure. I think getting there... Um, seeing a lot of people that I didn't get a chance to see before I uh, was sent out um, will be nice. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that played a big part in, uh, you know, me as a baseball player, me as a human being, me as a man, me as a father. Um, and it would just be nice to see a lot of those people that, um, you know, behind the scenes that maybe don't get a lot of credit for, you know, just kind of helping me, um, you know, through my career there, you know, whether it was, you know, some of the elevator attendants that, you know, I got to know, some of the stadium employees I got to know. Um, and obviously it's going to be nice to play in front of the, the fans of Toronto that have just been so kind to me and my family. And um, just really looking forward to get out there and playing one last time. You know, I think in a perfect world, you'd like to know you're getting traded and um, before and you get to go out there and play one last time. You know, I think... I kind of had that mindset every time I play that I, I try to play with the mindset this is my last game I'm ever going to play and I try to go out there and be the best version of myself and and play hard but under those circumstances it would have been nice to know that this was my last game in the Rogers Center wearing a Blue Jays uniform and you would 
kind of cherish that moment a little bit more. You kind of take in the stadium, the surroundings, uh, the fans, the people, um, and just take it all in because in this game you don't really know when it's going to end. Uh, you know, you did mention your, your background uh, from Los Angeles, and I want to ask about that. One last question about playing in Toronto. Uh, it's always been my understanding that uh, you, you feel when you play in Toronto you're more than just playing for a city, you're playing for a country since now you're the only team there. W- was that a little uh, different for you? I mean, I know you don't have anything to compare it to, but did you feel that, that way, like it was almost a national team? Yeah, it was definitely a national team. I think through some of my uh – off-season adventures, you know, through uh, our caravan, our winter tour, fan fest stuff, you know, it gave me opportunities to travel across uh, Canada and and just see how important the Blue Jays are to, um, you know, other cities, ever, other provinces in Canada. Um, you feel that effect a lot when uh, you travel north, you know, whether it's uh, places like Minnesota, places like Seattle, uh, places like Boston, um, you know, a lot of these Blue Jay fans watch the games from afar, um, you know, outside of Toronto. And like you said, it is a national team. That's their team they root for. And uh, you definitely feel those effects in, in Seattle and Minnesota, um, you know, when it's almost 90% Blue Jay fans. And it's just a rowdy group of people really excited. It's, you know, one of their only opportunities to maybe see the Blue Jays play live. So um, you definitely feel that effects, you know. Being here in San Francisco, it's a different feeling. You are representing one city, but the one thing that I have noticed just in this my short time here in traveling is they do a great job in, in traveling. You know, there is a pretty decent amount of Giants fans there in Washington. You know, you see them here in Pittsburgh, um, and we'll see how, how, how they travel to uh, Toronto as well. Yeah, that's that's been true, especially since the Giants won the uh, the, the first World Series in 2010. Uh, you mentioned you grew up in in L.A. from the western part of the San Fernando Valley, uh, and in some degrees, in some ways, you and I have had a little similar backgrounds. I mean, I'm a Jewish kid from L.A. Uh, I, I had a bar mitzvah. I think you may be the first player I've ever interviewed who also had a had a bar mitzvah. Um, you went to uh, to high school out there in the West Valley, and then you uh, you ended up going to a school that uh, probably a lot of people haven't heard of, Cal State Dominguez. Hills, which is down in, uh, I guess, the South Bay area, Torrance, Long Beach. Uh, what, what went into your choice to go there? To be honest with you, I didn't really hear hear of it before I decided to go there. Um, you know, I was a three-sport athlete in high school, pretty good at all three. Um, I was a little unsure of what I wanted to do. Uh, I really enjoyed playing basketball. I really enjoyed playing football. Um, baseball is always something I was, you know, secretly uh, really passionate about. Uh, I never really kind of expressed to my parents that I wanted to pursue it, uh, you know, after high school. I was very unsure of what I wanted to do. I think, uh, you know, baseball kind of chose me just due to my um, my size. You know, football would have been a little bit of a challenge at my size. Basketball would have been even more of a challenge at my size. And baseball kind of, I guess my senior year, I kind of started to express to my parents a little bit that, you know, I was going to consider playing uh, baseball in college, um, you know, and I, I had a good senior year and um, I didn't do a really good job of, you know, marketing myself or trying to, you know, go to these perfect game stuff or any of those sort of things that, that help you get to the next level. Um, being drafted was something that, you know, I, I didn't know anything about. I didn't really have any friends or many teammates that I played with in high school that, um, you know, went down that path. Um, 
and I had some offers. I had a couple offers, um, some D1 offers, East Coast schools, Midwest schools, um, some pretty good programs. Um, but I knew how much my parents enjoyed, uh, you know, watching me play baseball and being a part of my journey. And I really wanted to stay close to home. Um, you know, obviously I wanted to play at UCLA. That was kind of the school that, you know, I always dreamed about uh, playing at. Uh, they never came calling USC. Um, even some of the smaller D1 schools like LMU and Pepperdine, you know, weren't really an option. Uh, Fresno State was a school I really wanted to go to. My brother was actually going there as a student, and I thought it would be really cool to go up there and play baseball and get a chance to get close with my brother again, who's, um, you know, four grades older than me. So we only spent one year together in high school. Um, you know, ironically, that was the year they won the national championship, too. So that would have been a pretty cool thing to experience. But um, my best friend in high school, best friend today, he um, actually got recruited to Dominguez Hills to, to pitch. And um, I was kind of running out of options that, that summer. Didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, junior college was always an option. Um, but I, 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 to be honest with you, I didn't see... Um, you know, I didn't see my path to professional baseball. I didn't see my path to the big league. So it was really important for, for me to go to a four-year school so I can get in and make sure I was taking the right classes and make sure I, I graduated college. And if baseball worked out, great. But I wanted to make sure that I got into a four-year school where um, school was important as opposed to junior college in California where they can just kind of give you whatever classes you need to take to be eligible to play sports. So I kind of ruled that option out. And... You know, fortunately for me, my, my head coach at high school took the pitching coach job at Dominguez Hills. And um, in addition to him and, and my, my teammate that went there, um, you know, the they did a, good, did a good job selling me to the coach there and had me and my family come out, check out the campus and, you know, told me all the right things that I would have a chance to come in and play right away. Um, you know, coaches tell you a lot of things, but... You know, he sold me. He sold my family. Um, it was close enough to home where uh, my parents would be able to come out and watch games all the time. And obviously the teams we played were, were fairly close to home as well. And, you know, I ended up going there and I walked on and I earned a spot. And I ended up starting as a freshman, became a freshman All-American. And, um, you know, it was a, kind of a blessing in disguise. You know, it was never my dream to play Division II baseball. Um, but obviously it worked out. You know, I met my wife there too, so you know that's a huge, huge plus to to my experience there. And I got to spend you know four years with my best friend, uh, living in the dorms, living in a house, met some of my best friends in the world, um, playing at Dominguez Hills. And um, you know, ultimately, I think after my first year, when you know I proved I could play at the college level and be a freshman All-American, that you know maybe there was a future beyond this. And you know, I started to you know, play uh, summer ball, wood bat leagues, and starting to try to get my name out there a little bit more. Uh, my sophomore year, I had a pretty good year. Um, broke my ankle in fall ball, came back, probably shouldn't have played that year, tried to play through it, ended up tearing my labor in my shoulder the same year, ended up playing the, the rest of the year, had surgery on my ankle and shoulder um, that off season, so I didn't get a chance to play um, any wood bat stuff in in the off season. And then my junior year is kind of when I put myself on the map with that 54 game hit hit streak, and really just kind of dominated my competition. And really felt like um, 
you know, I started talking to scouts, started getting invited to go to workouts, and I really thought it was my opportunity to get drafted and, and, and move on from Dominguez Hills and, and, and start my journey to in Pro Bowl and, you know, see what happened from there. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't get drafted as a junior. And um, it was it was devastating for me because I felt like I had done everything I, I needed to do, and I felt like I fell victim to kind of this stereotype or stigma that comes along with um, playing at the lower levels of college baseball. Um, you know, went out to a really competitive Woodbat League in um, the Northwoods League and kind of went out there same way I went to Dominguez Hills. I got a 10-day contract to just kind of see, you know, how I handled myself out there. Ended up playing every single day out there, you know, led the league in hits and, and at-bats. And, um, you know, I really think that helped put my name out there and went back to Dominguez Hills and made sure uh, if I was going back for my senior year that I'd finished school and, you know, took a pretty massive workload in the classroom and just continued to go out there and, 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 and try to put myself on the map. And, you know, fortunately after that year, after graduating, uh, I got a call on, on day three of the draft and, you know, was selected by the Blue Jays in the 32nd round and didn't know what I was getting into, but I knew that, um, you know, I got everything I needed as far as just getting an opportunity to go out there and prove myself and, uh, you know, got off to a little bit of a, a shaky start in Pro Bowl. And I remember about a month in the season, I was hitting about 100 and, you know, uh, hitting, sat down with the hitting coach. He wanted to make all the excuses in the world for me being a Division Two guy, playing at a higher level, playing with a wood bat. And, you know, I told him, you know, that wasn't going to be acceptable that wasn't going to work for me you know I, I believe in myself I know I can hit ended up turning it around winning the batting title out there and um I was on my way and you got a degree and was it education no business oh excuse me business um something that maybe you hope to use when you're retired yeah hopefully I mean I think every I think every player at some point in their career kind of thinks about life after baseball um, you know, I think about it probably more than the average player because I am, I'm understand that um, what the major league life shelf life is. You know, the the average people playing the major leagues is probably about two and a half, three years. You know, I've already surpassed that. Ideally, we'd all like to live in this fantasy land where we're going to play 10 years and we're going to make a lot of money and we're not ever going to have to work after baseball. Um, even if I got my full 10 years, I'd be about 35, 36 at that point. And, um, you know, in, in baseball, you're considered old, but in life, you're still considered young at right. 36. You were just saying that um, you uh, you know that 35 years old, you know, if you have 10 years in the big leagues, uh, might be old in baseball terms, but uh, not in the real world. And uh, you do hope to pursue something afterwards, maybe use your degree a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I'm still up in the air what that's going to be. But like I said, you know, hopefully I'm in a position where um, – you know, I'm not having to take a nine to five to support my family when I'm done playing. Hopefully I've made enough money in this game that, you know, baseball has been, sports have been a huge part of my life since I was a little kid. You know, I spent uh, a lot of my time not only practicing my craft at, at this, but spending time in the weight room, uh, especially once you get to the college level. You know, aside from going to school, it's pretty much a year round job. So. You know, when I'm done playing, hopefully I get to enjoy some of the things that I missed out in my youth as far as, you know, traveling and, and just enjoying myself, playing golf, taking vacations, you know, getting a chance to be a, a you know, a full-time husband, full-time father. But 
Um, like I said, you're young when you're done playing. I, I can't imagine just sitting on the couch and playing golf every single day and, uh, you know, being a husband and a, a father full time. You know, I there's other things that I'm passionate about. There's a lot of things I'm actually passionate about, but that's still to be determined on, on what route I decide to take. But the most important thing for me is I'm doing something because I want to do it, not because I have to do it. Right. I did want to ask one thing. You talked about the 54-game hitting streak. If you were playing at University of Miami or Fresno State or Stanford, uh, your, your name probably would have been all over the, the sporting pages when, when you were doing that. Um, did that get any notoriety at all, and did you start hearing a lot about DiMaggio? Yeah, I definitely heard a lot about DiMaggio. I, I heard more about, um, I think it was Tina Martinez that had his long hit streak at, at Oklahoma State. Um you know, fortunately, fortunately for me, was it Nick Castellanos? There was another player. I want to say it was Nick Castellanos, but I don't think it was. It might have been Nick Castellanos. He was playing at Florida Atlantic, and he coincidentally had a long hit streak, you know, up, upwards of the 50s. And um, it started getting some, obviously, local publicity as I started reaching different milestones uh, in my school, my conference, uh, Division Two. But as I was starting to reach kind of that um, national record, um, you know, it started. I started seeing it on ESPN. People started hearing about it. It started getting a little bit more notoriety. But like you said, obviously, if it was at a a big time Division One school, it would have been uh, you know all over ESPN. There probably would have been you know, ESPN cameras out there, kind of tracking uh, when I was going to get my next hit or when this streak was going to end. But um, you know, it was something that it was uh, it was it was a magical ride when I was in when I was doing it. You know, and people kind of asked me about um, you know how do you have a hit streak that long? But I think as a baseball player, as a competitor, I think you know you take every day individually, and obviously your goal is to try to get on base and try to get hits. And it just kind of seemed like I was able to do that every single day. And um, you know, I never really felt pressure until I got into like the 50s and I was about to break the D2 record and uh, obviously that competition I was facing was well aware of it and people want to end any sort of streak that you have and I started getting pitched a little bit differently and you know fortunately for me it happened at, at home with my, my family there and a couple of my friends came out to watch and it was actually a doubleheader that day so I was able to not only uh, tie the Division 2 record but break it in the same day and um, you know Unfortunately, like every good thing, it, it came to an end. Did you did you barrel any up on that fifty uh, fifth day? You know what? I, I specifically remember the fifty fifth day. It was we were playing in uh, University Pacific. It was uh, the CCAA uh, conference championship, and we were playing our rival UC San Diego. Um, I believe it was only a seven inning game too, and I I, I made it out in my first at bat. I was intentionally walked and hit by a pitch, and that's kind of how it ended. Yeah, seven inning games, probably a few of those in there. Uh, just the last uh, question for you, and I'll let you go. Um, you uh, have read, you have talked about, and I've read about how, as a thirty-second round draft pick, you had a chip on your shoulder coming in, which which can be a good thing. But now looking back on it, uh, you have a successful major league career now. Uh, do you appreciate the accomplishment of being a guy who went to a D two school, drafted in the thirty-second round, and being in the majors as long as you have? Oh, yeah, I take a lot of pride in it because, um, you know, some people just either develop later in life. Some people, uh, like me, play multiple sports and didn't kind of commit their whole life to baseball. Um, you know, I was fortunate to have 
parents that wanted to, uh, you know, let me and my brother experience a lot of different things in life. You know, I wasn't a guy who, you know, I played my my sports seasons growing up. I played Little League when it was Little League time. I played basketball when it was basketball season. I played popcorn or football when it was that. I played soccer. I did everything growing up. But what my parents did a really good job for me and my brother growing up was when summertime came, you know, we kind of put sports down and we went to the lake and we just enjoyed being kids. We traveled. Um, me and my brother wrote, both wrote motorcycles growing up. So summertime was kind of a time for us to get away from organized sports and just kind of enjoy other things in life. Looking back on it, did it maybe hurt my chances of, you know, playing at a big time school probably, but I do take a lot of pride in, I don't want to say being the poster child because I'm not the first one and I'm not the only one who's done it, but, um, you know, just proving to young kids out there that uh, every every person's path is differently. You don't have to play in a perfect game to get to the big leagues. You don't have to be a high school All-American to get to the big leagues. You could play at your local D2 or D3's college and just go out there and enjoy playing baseball. And, um, you know, I'm a big believer if you're good enough, they're going to come find you. You might not get the same opportunities initially in, in professional baseball that, you know, some of these guys that get drafted ahead of you and are making big bucks might, but... My dad was always going to tell me cream rises to the top if you just stay prepared mentally and physically and, and outwork guys and, and be accountable and uh, be respectful. And when you get your opportunities, you run with it, uh, good things are going to happen. Well, and good things have happened to you. And I thank you for talking to me. And I wish you have, uh, I hope you have a very good return to Toronto this week. I appreciate that. Thank you, Kevin. That's it for this edition of Giant Splash. We'll have another podcast very soon. Giant Splash is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you would subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a minute or two to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at Hank Schulman, or you can email me at hshulman at sfchronicle.com. Support Giant Splash and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions available. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.